Good to see everybody here for worship. It's an intriguing question to ask. What is your purpose? And as you can see, there's all sorts of different ways to answer that. And uh, you might answer that <clears throat> in any number of ways. I think for me, up until probably about the age 19, I, was, I would say I could identify with several of those answers where it was just, I, it was all about me, what I wanted, what, um, what made me feel good. And, and, and so my purpose was really revolving around me being in the very center. And as long as people allowed me to get what I wanted, then that was good for me. That's what really mattered. And today what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at how, how to really answer this question and, and to understand how, what it is God has designed us for. Because I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time on earth. I know I'm not going to get another time around. This is my one shot at living. This is your one shot at living. And so I, I had a chance this past week to visit with a friend of, of, of mine. She's a lady. Her name is Grace, and she's 88. And I've known her since I was a kid. And my, my wife and I and her kids went and visited her and spent some time talking to her. And she's 88 years old. And she, she has no regrets. She said, you know, I just lived such a full life. And she says, I feel like I'm starting to wear down, starting to break down. My body's starting to break down. And she's 88, you know. And <clears throat> she, up until a few years ago, she was still painting a barn and, you know, out feeding horses. And just she was just really enjoying her life. And she, she, she said, I've just really lived my life <clears throat> for the right things. I haven't wasted my life. And so because of that, she's 88. She's saying, I have no regrets. And... The truth, of us, the truth is none of us really want to waste the time we have on earth. Um, God addresses this whole idea in the scripture, and we're launching a new series on our purpose. And so we're going to kick it off by looking at this verse, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. I'd invite you to <clears throat> actually let's pray together before we look at God's word. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We, we welcome you to this place, God. We know you're here, and um, we ask you to speak to us, God. We're here, and we've got a a number of things on our minds and on our plates. And God, sometimes it's real hard to focus on things like this, our purpose and what life is all about. And so God, I pray that, that you would um, speak to us very clearly above all the noise in our lives. And God, we would just quiet our hearts right now and allow you to do that. I pray for your Holy Spirit to, to speak to those of us who are hurting, um, who need your comfort. Lord, we know that <clears throat> we know, God, that you care for us in a very deep and special way. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what Ephesians says. He says, this is from the Scriptures. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. This is really a verse about purpose. The writer of this book, God used a man named Paul to communicate some truths to the church. And he, he's saying, look, you don't want to waste your time living carelessly. The opposite of this verse, and it starts with, you know, so be careful how you live. The opposite of this is to be careless or to not care about what you do. To be careless or just to stumble around through life without really having any rhyme or reason for your steps and for your choices and your decisions. Just drifting through life. And Scripture is saying, instead of that, be careful, be very careful how you live. Be circumspect. The word, this phrase, so be careful how you live, the literal 
translation is really walk exactly. Walk exactly. Make sure that your steps are exactly ordered the way you're intending. Don't just be running like this, but walk exactly. Be circumspect. Be very careful. The same idea is that used by an acrobat. I've mentioned this before, but an acrobat has to be perfect, right? If you're a bad acrobat, you're not an acrobat, are you? You fall off the rope. <laughs> you die or you fall into the net, you know. But if you're in those places where you're really good, you die because they don't have a net for you. But the acrobat, you know, it has to have these perfect steps. That's this idea in Scripture is walk exactly. There's no room for error is what he's saying. Otherwise, you waste your life. <clears throat> the key to this verse is if you want to know why you're here and you want to make the most of your life, then you must factor in what God really wants. That's what the, the, this verse is saying in verse 17. Don't just act thoughtlessly. Don't be careless. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Not just what you want done. You know, we all have our plans. We all have our desires. But the scripture is saying if you really want to live purposely, you've got to figure out what is on God's heart and on his mind. And I've got to wrap my mind and my heart around those things and live in that way. And that's the direction I'm going to walk. I'm going to move in a different direction. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks. We're going to talk about God's purposes for our life. We're going to be using a, uh, uh, a book to guide us that some of our small groups are going to be looking at. So I'll be referencing some of this throughout the series. Um, But this is The Purpose Driven Life. Um, You know, this book is actually the most widely read, or the most widely circulated book, the Bible. This is more widely circulated than any other bestseller. And so uh, this book is not the Bible. So I'm going to differentiate. This is the Bible. This is not the Bible. This is a book. But this book is written about the Scriptures. And so what the author of this book has tried to do He's a pastor in Orange County. Is he's taken 1,200 scriptural references and he's he's crafted together a book on how to live purposefully according to what God says life is all about. Not what we want necessarily, but what God really wants. So, but this is the bestseller. I think back there we've got some copies and it said 250 million copies have been circulated at this point. And this is, I think, it is actually maybe the the number one bestseller in our country at this point. But it's this church book. It's about the scriptures. And it's, it's unusual that people have this interest in finding out what does God want. Because the very first chapter starts with this line, which I find very helpful. It says, it's not about you. Period. It's not about you. And, you know, up until I was about 18, 18 and a half, it was all about me. And I thought, this is, this is, this is where life ends, with me and what I want. But... He's very clear, and he pulls this from the Scripture, that God says it's about him. He's trying to get us to order our steps in a way that's pleasing to God. And so this book, it it gives us a 40-day journey looking at what are God's purposes for our life. And so I would encourage you to um, pick a copy of this up. We've got copies here. Some of you have already signed up for a small group that's going to be going on through this, or your small group that you're already in is going through this. And so we've got copies. They're $5, and so... But this morning, what I want to do is kind of launch us into this theme by looking at three basic questions. The first one is this. What does God want? What is it the Scripture says that God really wants? God says your whole life. He wants everything. He wants our whole life. You won't find a single verse in the Scripture that says you can be a Christian and live the way that you want. There's just not a verse that, that, that 
gives us that permission to live for ourselves. But if we're a Christian, if we're someone who follows Christ, then we decide to do life God's way according to what he wants. God wants everything about us. And we sometimes want to section off parts of our lives and say, here, God, I'll give you, I'll give you my Sunday. I'll give you Sundays and maybe a night in the evening, one of the mid, you know, one of the midweek or the mid, middle of my weekdays, whatever I'm trying to say, in the evening, you know what I'm saying? And maybe I'll give you some time before bed to pray. But, you know, the other 80%, that's mine. I'm going to keep that to myself. God says it doesn't really work that way. He says, I want all of you, not 10%, not 50%, not even 99%. He says, I want the whole thing. I want everything you have to offer me. God is very clear about this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, Paul says this. He says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It's interesting. It goes on and says, not for the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. He's talking about dividing up your body. He's saying some people, in a sense, want to give parts of their body. They're divided, in a sense. Part of their body is is being devoted to the wrong things. And he's saying, don't don't do that. Don't divide yourself up. But give, offer your whole body to God for his purposes. To be an instrument to him. Instruments in God's hands, in the Redeemer's hands. He wants to actually use your life to do something in this world. He's trying to accomplish something through you and through me. But he can't do that if we'll give him 10%, 50%, even 99%. He needs all of us. He wants to use the whole package. But the implication in this scripture is that people were trying to do this Christian life but being divided, not in full devotion. C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, the only thing that Christianity can't be is moderately important. He says, Christianity just cannot be moderately important. It, it, it's got to be everything. If not, we're wasting our time going through this religious exercise. It's just not worth it. <clears throat> but many, many people try to slice up our lives. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through verse 12. It says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways. He wants everything, all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You can circle the word all there because that's the idea. He's saying, I want everything. I want your whole life, everything you can give me. We think I'll serve the Lord and give him everything if I can find the time to do that. Once I get the time to do that, I'll I'll give you more, God. I'll... Tell you what, God, I'll give you 10% now, and as life gets better, I'll give you, I'll, I'll inch my way up to 100%. But he's saying you can't do that. It's impossible. The, the myth is this. You can do it all, and you can have it all. But that's, that's a lie. You cannot do it all and have everything you want. Look at Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said this. He said, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. You can't have two bosses in your life. Two people who rule or control your life. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He's saying you can't serve both God and money. The verse here doesn't say you shouldn't serve two masters. It's saying you can't do it. 
You can't pull it off. Only one person can be in charge. You know, everything in your life has a ranking, right? You have a number one. All of us have has a number one. And then you have two, three, four, five, and so on. But you cannot have two number ones. It's impossible to do that. <clears throat> the verse here in Scripture is talking about money. Because money is one of those things that does threaten to, to become number one in our lives. And it's saying, you know, money threatens to be first place. But you, you can't do that. You can't serve God and money at the same time. You've got to serve one or the other. But there's all sorts of things that really can push God out of first place and make Him second, third, fourth, fifth. Some of those things for us might be our hobbies, our work, just our playtime, sports. I'm a sport fanatic when it comes to playing sports. If there's a sporting opportunity, I usually will try to drop what I can to go and play because I just love playing. But you know, though playing for me, it can be a threat if I let it. It can take over if I let it. Maybe school. Maybe for you, school is just your driving force. You're, that's number one for me right now. This is what I've got to focus on. You can't let it be number one, though. Family life, even. Family life is extremely important. God has said this is a, a stewardship, a responsibility issue for, for you if you're a parent. But it can't, God doesn't want that to take the first place. Building your career, saving for your retirement, maintaining good health, you know, exercising, all of that. Many of those things are really good things, but good things are not meant to be number one. And this is something I think I struggle with, and I wrestle with this, and I'm sure you feel the same way at times, where you're just wrestling with these priorities that go shifting back and forth in our life. Jesus, he called a couple of guys to follow him. It's interesting. You find this in in Luke chapter 9. It's not up on your screen. I'm going to read you this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62 Jesus calls a couple of guys and he says, <clears throat> says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. He's telling Jesus, I'm devoted to you, basically. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the, holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So he's, one guy saying, hey, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus says, you know, foxes and birds, they got homes. I don't have a home. Are you implying, are you sure you want to follow me? If you follow me, this life that you're living is going to be very different. The security that you might want, you, it's going to be very different if you put me first. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, first, Lord, let me go and bury my father. The implication here is that he wanted his dad was sick and dying. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Now you're going to think, man, Jesus, this is really harsh. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That doesn't sound like a Jesus statement, does it? Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Why was Jesus saying these things? Why was he challenging people's fellowship and you know, people said, I've got, I got a few things I've got to take care of. First, let me go say goodbye to my family. First, you know, let me make sure that this is going to be secure living for me. First, let me go and take care of my sick father who's dying. And Jesus says, you know, <clears throat> Jesus is basically trying to make a very extreme case for what it's going to cost people to follow him. Now, what he's not saying is ignore your family, don't care about your elderly parents and... Um, you know, be homeless. He's not saying that. 
But he's saying, this is truly going to cost you. And he's challenging people with this extreme language and these extreme uh, calls on their life. And I've got some other passages I can give you that really paint uh, an extreme devotion when Jesus called people to follow him. Because he didn't want 25 percenters. He didn't want 50 percenters. He was saying, if you'll follow me first, then I will give you the priority so you'll take care of your family in the way that I would want it. So you take care of your parents and honor them in the way that I would want it. So that your, your needs are met in the way that I would want it. God is saying, I'll take care of those things. But if you're saying to God, God, let me first do this or that. Let me first, if you can say your own line there. Let me first finish school. Let me first find someone to marry. Let me first get the kids out of the house, God. Just let me first achieve some financial freedom or get, get out of debt. If you're saying any, let me first fill in the blank, then God is not first. And that ought to challenge us. Because God's promise is that if we'll put him first, he'll put the rest of the things in order in our life. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. This is from a paraphrase, but it says, In everything you do, put God first. Put him first place, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. See, God, he knows how to order my life in a way that's far better than I could ever put it. You know, I think I've got a great plan, and I could tell you what's going to happen year five and year six and year seven, and I've got this great plan, but God's saying, if you'll just keep me first in your life, I know how to schedule things far better than you can. I'm the one that created you. I know how to put priorities on your, on your plate that are really important and take things away that really aren't that important. But we've got to decide to give him our whole life. That's the first thing. <clears throat> if you don't want to waste your life, we have to decide to give him our whole life. The second thing is, what does it take to do this. What does it really take to not waste our life or to give God our whole life? It takes discipline. The scripture is clear that a, a purposeful life is a disciplined life. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is going to take strict behavior, strict living. If you want to live in a way that's pleasing to God and live purposefully, it will require tremendous discipline on your own lifestyle and on your choices. I was talking to my wife about this area of discipline last night. We were, our, our, our life gets pretty chaotic and hectic at times. And, and I said, do you think we have much discipline in, in some of these areas? And we talked through some areas that we felt like, man, those things are chaotic. Those are out of control. But then there, there are some certain areas that we said, yeah, I think we, we have some discipline. So good, we can have discipline. This is a good thing. But discipline is a very, very difficult thing to pull off. There's, there's two words for discipline that I want to highlight here. First is delayed gratification. To be disciplined, it means doing the difficult thing now in order to enjoy the benefits later. That's delaying your gratification. Some of you know what this is all about. You, you work, you, you have careers. You know, that's a disciplined thing, to get up and go to work every day. You're, in, you're, you're putting in your time right now. You're doing the hard thing right now, going to work. And two weeks later, you get a paycheck, you know. You could enjoy the benefits of your work and, and take care of your family. Hopefully, there's something enjoyable about that experience. But maybe you work out. We probably have some workout people here. You know, you like to go to the gym. And you're, you're one of those four- to five-dayer people, you know. You're strict in your workout. You're regimented, you know. And then there's the rest of us that might get in there, you know, once in a while. Hey, we own the membership, at least, you know. Yeah, I go to the gym. I go to the gym once a month, once a quarter, you know. But 
that's not very disciplined. Like for me and my workout schedule, it's just not very disciplined right now. But I know some of you, you're very regimented in this. Or maybe it's you don't miss your favorite TV show. You're disciplined when it comes to TV. You will never miss Lost. You're not lost. You'll never miss 24. Is 24 still showing? Last season, we have a fan. We have a disciplined TV guy here. <laughs> you know, we, we can discipline ourselves if we want to. I, I know one thing most of us are disciplined with, food. Most of us are pretty disciplined at eating three meals a day, right? We know, and our, we, we're disciplined to eat, but some of us are more disciplined. We eat strict, we eat healthy, and we're very disciplined. You know, you're disciplined in the areas you want to be disciplined in. What would happen if you decided to discipline yourself in the areas that God would want you to be disciplined in? God could do some things in your life in a very unique way if you would decide to apply the same discipline you have for whatever it might be you are disciplined in to your spiritual life. And that's our hope for this series is that over the next six weeks and hopefully you'll join with me and others that are going to be reading this book and kind of taking some time to look at God's purposes that you'll establish a spiritual discipline that will have tremendous payoff in your in your life <clears throat> long term. Another word for discipline is habit. We all know this word habit. You are the sum total of your habits. This is who you are. This is who I am. The things that I habitually do tell you about me. If you habitually tell the truth, then you are, you are a person who has integrity. That's what it means. But you can't claim to be a person of integrity and not be a truth teller. Because you are the sum total of your habits. What you do over and over reveals your character. <clears throat> so each time I read this book, it challenges me because I think I've, I've went through this twice. This will be my third time. It challenges me. But sometimes I'll pick it up, I'll read a chapter, and I think, man, this, there are some very practical things that this guy has to say. He, he's taken some things out of Scripture, and he's, he's he finds a way to challenge application in me. And what God desires is that the, the Bible would not just be something sitting on our shelf, lifeless, that we might pick up and reference once in a while when we're in problems, but that we would understand that this is the living Word of God, that God has stuff to say to us that apply to our life right here and right now. And so the book that we're reading is just taking the application side of the Scriptures and, and keeping it before you on a daily basis. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to read this book with me and others that are reading the book, it's going to take some new habits. And if you're going to add a habit, usually you have to remove a habit. Because you can't generally add something without um, getting overwhelmed or overworked. And so you might consider, what are some things I could let go? I'd really like to be more disciplined in my life. I'd like to discipline myself at least for the next 40 days and read this book every day. The chapters are like four or five pages long. It's not very long, but... That time may take you 15 minutes every day for the next 40 days. If you're going to do that, what can you cut out for the next 40 days, 15 minutes? What do you do 15 minutes a day? Read the, maybe read the paper. Maybe, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, what else takes 15 minutes? You know, Facebook, there you go. Texting, you know. Um, sleep, maybe go to sleep a little earlier. Yeah. But new, new habits always require that you let some old things go. And so you've got to determine, if I want to be more disciplined in my spiritual life, I have to decide to, to, to identify some things that I can swap this with. 
Look at Hebrews 12.1. says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. This comes right after a long chapter in Hebrews that talks about all the heroes of the Christian faith, men and women who lived and died for God in a very, very purposeful and intentional way. And he's saying, since all these people, you've got this huge crowd of, of people who are so faithful with their lives, he's saying, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. There's two things that hold us back according to this verse. Two things are sin and weight. You know what sin is. Sin is when we do things that are wrong in God's eyes. When we decide to do life our own way, that's sin. So he's saying we should, we should strip off the sin that so easily entangles us, that catches us up. We should decide to identify those things that trip us up and, and, and strip those things off. Avoid those things. Don't do those things. But then he's saying there are these weights that we carry around. Weight is not necessarily wrong. It's just not necessary. Expectations, that's like weight in our life. Certain activities, things we do that are maybe wasting time, memories, fear. There's just different things that we might do that are like extra weight we carry around in our lives. All of us probably have thousands and thousands of extra weights in our life. Things that are not necessary but we carry them around anyway. And to be disciplined, to decide to grow in your spiritual life, requires that you strip off the extra weight in your life and the sin in your life that might be keeping you or preventing you from making any progress in your spiritual growth. There are just None of us can, can say, here's your list. You know what the extra weight in your life is. And I'm not talking about pounds. I'm talking about, I'm talking about activity, things that you do that take up your time. So this is something I'd encourage you to do. Is if our a little side note here, those of you who are already in a small group, your small group leaders are going to be taking you through the next six weeks, really looking at applying some of these messages and some of the reading material that that they're doing or that your group members might be doing. I'd encourage you, even if you read this before, it's a, every time I read this book, God speaks to me about things in my life that I'm not doing right. <laughs> I've got careless in an area, and I realized, oh, God, I didn't even realize that I'd gotten off track in that. Thanks, thanks for that reminder. So don't think, oh, I've already read it. I've been there. I've done that. It's, not, you know, it's a waste of my time. It's not a waste of your time to grow spiritually. And so I, I hope you'll, you'll read this along with us. If you've never done it before, then that resource table, if you turn around and look to the back, there's a resource table. There's books on the back there. Um, they're $5 a copy. We've started a new small group for this, and so... Even if you haven't joined the small group, you can still do that on the back of that connection card and tell us about that. Today is day one in the book. And so if you'd like to join with the reading and you want to keep up with it all, then today is the first chapter. Tomorrow is chapter two. And you just keep going. As long as you can count to 40, you'll be good to go. So, But whoever you are, it's going to take discipline. Anything on a 40-day journey is going to take discipline. And it will be easy to get distracted. And so just a verse here to encourage you. Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes and spends some time with some of his followers. Look at what he says. Well, it says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Jesus was in her house. So Martha, she's distracted by getting the house ready. She came to him and she asked, she says this to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister, Mary, has left me to do all the work by myself? Would you tell her to help me out? And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, 
But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was trying to choose between housework or time with the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh. Her master. It was housework or time with Jesus. And Martha was having to having wrestle with this whole issue. Mary, she simply sat at the Lord Jesus' feet. She spent time relating to him. And Jesus is saying, she's chosen to do the thing that's most important. This is critical. So as we set out to do this 40-day journey, looking at our purpose, there will be many distractions, just like Martha had distractions. And Jesus wants to spend time with us on a regular basis. There will be things that come up in your life you can guarantee. There's housework. There's things that are going to be gnawing on your plate. God would want you to say, look, choose the most important thing. Don't choose to get distracted by the things that will not have long-term payoff in your life. Our average life is 25,550 days. So it makes good sense that you, that you decide for 40 days, for the next 40 days, I'm going to commit to God to learn about who I really am and what my purposes are. And here's what one thing God promises. If you'll commit this time to Him, God says, I'll give you more energy to do this. Look at Philippians 2. It says, because God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey His own purpose. You see, God, what He does is, as you commit your will to do something like this, to grow spiritually, God will amp up or He'll fuel the desire. He'll fuel the willpower in you so that you can actually begin to grow more and more. God's Holy Spirit who lives in those of you who've already committed your life to Christ, He can use your own willingness and He can match that and do so much more if you'll just decide, I'm going to grow. I, I, I want to give you this time, God, to grow in these areas. The last question here is, why should I do this? Why should I read this book? Why should I try to grow? Why should I get disciplined and focus on my purpose? Aside from the obvious benefits of, of just personally growing and getting to know what God says in an area is the cross. This is the most obvious reason that we should commit time to grow is because of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.15, we looked at this verse last week for Easter. And it says, and he, speaking of Jesus, he died for all. All of us are included in this. So he died for you. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. One thing that Easter does for me every year is that it reminds me of the cross. And the cross and the suffering, it gets more personal around Easter time because I remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on my behalf. You see, if you understand what, what the Bible says about why God sent Jesus to, your, to the earth was because all of us decided to do life our own way, independently from God's plans. We created our own purposes, and we set off on this journey that is kind of like this windy road that hasn't gotten us very far. And God said, I'm going to make a way to redeem and rescue you and restore a relationship to your Heavenly Father. So He sent Jesus. He offered Himself up on your behalf. So that you would not have to pay the penalty for your own rebellion. Last week we showed a few scenes from the the movie The Passion of the Christ. It's a bloody depiction of the life of Jesus. His final week on earth. And you may have watched that last week, those clips for the very first time. If you've never seen that, I'd encourage you to rent that video done by Mel Gibson. Very well done. Just gets you to understand the price that Jesus Christ paid for you. If you've never watched that, it's bloody, but 
I guarantee what that does is it will draw you in to understand more fully what it is happened and why we celebrate Easter. Because if we put too much distance between us and the cross, then we forget about the price that Christ paid for us. So I'd encourage you, don't put distance between yourself and the cross. If you'll stay close to the cross and you'll remember the cross and what Jesus did, then things like this, a decision to grow spiritually, it makes complete sense because you realize, man, he did that for me. Well, I, I have to live for him. I, I, I've given my life to him. Let's wrap up with this verse, Romans 12, 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In view, meaning keep it in view. Keep in view. Don't let this escape from your, your mind's eye what God has done for you because he's been so merciful. In view of all of that, to offer your bodies, he's asking for the whole thing. He's saying, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There's nothing more religious and more spiritual than just saying, God, I'm yours completely. I hold nothing back. I've committed my life to you 100%, and I want you to call the shots from here on out. That's, that's really the hope for this series, is that it would be a time for us as a church to, to together move in that direction, surrendering ourselves fully to him and to his purposes. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes up and leads us.